Hi, I'm Anna Minerick, and this is Voices of STEM, a podcast where we speak with STEM students in the Maritimes. In each episode, we speak with a student about their involvement and experiences in their respective field. We get an inside look into their journey, including the lessons they have learned, how they got to where they are today, and what their goals are for the future. We hope you enjoy hearing about their story as much as we do. Today we're talking to Morgan Johnson, who is a 2015 neuroscience grad. How are you doing, Morgan? Hi, Anna. I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, so tell us a little bit about to, uh, where you are today. From my understanding, you started off doing neuroscience and now you're in marketing? So more specifically, I'm actually in sales. But yeah, I've kind of had a, I would say, non-standard career route. <laughs> um, technically, right now, I am a technical sales and support specialist. Um, more specifically, what I tend to do is I help uh, clients or customers with hardware and software customized solutions. That's what I've had experience with. Um, but for some background on me, I actually, so as you said, I graduated in 2015 with a Bachelor's of Science in Neuroscience from Dell. I'm from Halifax, um, so Dow kind of felt like a natural choice for me. And then while I was there, I was kind of looking for a lab to join. And it's it always feels like kind of a big decision when you're in your first or second year trying to find a lab that's going to define, I felt like it <laughs> defined the rest of your career path. So I kind of looked around to different labs in the area and landed in something called the Neurocognitive Imaging Lab, which is led by Dr. Aaron Newman. And when I was there the first day, there was actually a party, there was cake, and it just kind of felt right. <laughs> it felt like home. It, found like, it felt like I found my lab family. And yeah. I was right, because I was there for the next five years. I eventually became um, Aaron's research coordinator and also his lab manager and was helping with all of the different projects going on in the lab. Um, and then before from, you, before, yeah, sorry. before yeah, you started sorry. there, um, did you look at other labs before or did you just kind of you picked to go see that one and it ended up being the right fit? Yeah, so I looked at a couple of different ones and it just didn't feel right. I was basing it on, of course, my interests and what I was hoping to do in academia and what I kind of sought out doing from the beginning. Uh, the things that really interested me over at Nickel, the Neurocognitive Imaging Lab, was the work with second languages and the work with people who have difficulty with language after stroke. And that's kind of what brought me in. And that's what I started working on when I was there. So it's more you were interested in that and then that kind of led you to pursuing that lab and that's kind of how you got started. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it just kind of was a natural fit for me. I don't know if it is for everyone, but it, it definitely was for me. Yeah. So how do you get from neuroscience to, to where you are now? Because that kind of seems like a big transition. Yeah, it really is. And sometimes I even wonder whether or not I should have just went into a business degree off the start. Uh, but honestly, I am so thankful for my neuroscience background and I am a proud, proud family member of the Nickel Lab. So I wouldn't have changed my path anyway. So essentially what happened was in the Nickel Lab um, with Dr. Aaron Newman, he also uh, works really closely with entrepreneurship. And back in that time, when I was in his lab, the 
the HOT Institute, the, the HOT program was called NICE. So we'd had the Summer NICE Institute and it was funded through Radiant. And I became a part of that Summer Institute one year and it was a great showcase of just the different options there are out there. Because honestly, in probably my first two years of university, all I really knew was academia as a path. Academia, maybe med school if I, I wanted to try to go that route, but I didn't really know there was other options. And what this Summer Institute really helped showcase was that there are other options. You don't have to go into neuro, and there are a lot of skills that you can take out of neuro and out of science degrees and put them into real life. And what actually happened there was one of the guest speakers at this Summer Institute, um, his name is Dr. Patrick Britz. He is the president of a company called Brain Vision. And I had met him um, and we kind of just clicked and connected off the bat. He was really impressed by all the things that I did over at the Nickel Lab. And he tried to offer me a job at their American office. At the time, unfortunately, hiring a Canadian in an American office was not really feasible. So he kind of told me, it's not in the cards for now, but you know, maybe if I open a Canadian office in the future, I'll get in contact with you. So I kind of thought, okay, that's that's never going to happen. So let's try to go get a master's. Um, so I actually got a master's in science communication and public engagement from the University of Edinburgh. And I did that part time while working at the Nickel Lab with kind of the idea of working in science centers in the future. That's kind of what I wanted to do. I had so much enjoyed going to conferences and talking to researchers, talking about my research, talking about their research, just kind of getting an idea of what people were doing and talking. Um, that's one of my favorite things to do. And lo and behold, um, partway through my master's online, I uh, got an email from Dr. Patrick Britz who said, hey, I've opened that Canadian office, are you in? And that actually brought me to Montreal for almost four years. And just to kind of backtrack there, one of the things that Patrick really liked about what I was doing was in Aaron's lab, we used EEG. And specifically, the EEG systems that brain vision cells. <laughs> so when I went to Montreal, I kind of was approaching research from a different um, perspective. And I kind of had that background in neuroscience and putting together different studies and knowing kind of the ins and outs and the puzzle of putting together the dis different hardware that you need and putting together a paradigm. And I was able to apply that to my sales, my new sales uh, career in brain vision and helping researchers do that. Um, we had a big variety of different types of hardware and software that we kind of put together to help people answer their research questions. And while I was there, I discovered that was one of the things I really loved was the puzzle of it. You'll hear me probably say that a lot. I, a lot. I love puzzles and trying to find the right fit or solution for people. And that's kind of what started my passion for sales. And I, I never really thought that I would transition from 
being in academia to really, really loving sales and just being so excited to make a customer happy with something that was the perfect fit for them and seeing them prosper. And while I was in Montreal, I always felt that Halifax was home to me. It's where I wanted to end up. So after being with this company, Brain Vision Solutions in Canada, for three and a half years, I started to look for other opportunities that would bring me back home. Um, and that's where my new job came into play, which is a company called LifeRaft. And they, it was, it was a long interview process with them. But one of the things that I think that really stood out when I was interviewing with them was my neuroscience and my research background. They were really impressed by that and thought it was something that kind of set me apart from other candidates. Um, so that brought me to the life raft, I guess, and I'm an account executive there. Um, so I'm doing kind of something similar that I did at Brain Vision where I'm I'm finding out these customer needs and I'm putting together the puzzle that fits for them. And I. I'm really happy here. I, I I love this job. I I still don't know how quite how I got here, and I understand it's like a very wonky kind of route I did to get here, but I am so happy, and it's it's been great so far. Yeah, that, thank you so much for taking us kind of through your journey. Uh, I just have a couple a couple questions. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> you. Yeah. So um, you were talking about how you felt like sometimes there weren't any other options. Um, and kind of doing the Radiant, the, the NICE program through Radiant kind of showcased that there are other options beyond just med and academia. And I was wondering how you'd suggest other students look for opportunities like that, because from my understanding, the the Radiant, it doesn't run at Dal anymore. Um, so I was wondering if you had any advice for students kind of to, for them to be able to find, you know, other pathways or explore other pathways like you had the opportunity to do. Yeah, and I mean, um, some of my advice might be a bit outdated because I did graduate in 2015, which is hard to believe it was that was six years ago. I'm not crying. It's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, well, I mean, I like you said, I was very fortunate to have the Radiant Nice program. Um, and I mean, it's my understanding now that Erin uh, has uh, a new program that's kind of similar called Surge that yes, does yes, kind Surge. of similar things over at Dow. So I I mean, I owe Aaron everything. He's an amazing person. So I would highly recommend anything that he puts out there. He is a great resource for advice as well. Other things I would recommend is, I mean, in normal days, uh, conferences are great. Going around, talking to the different vendors there, kind of getting an idea of what they do. Um, kind of from a job perspective instead of as a customer perspective would be probably quite helpful. Okay, sweet. Um, and going back to the, the NICE program, what exactly were you doing there? What was kind of, was it a, like a, a course or a program and were you able to work on a project or what did that look like? Yeah, so great question. Uh, when I did the NICE program, that was just the summer institute that I was a part of. I, If I remember correctly, there was also kind of like an undergraduate and a graduate program as well that you could do entirely. I was not a student at that time of taking NICE, I don't think. Um, so I just kind of took it as a member of Aaron's lab 
and went in. So it was a couple of weeks long and essentially it was really interesting where you had different panelists come in and kind of tell you about careers outside of science and kind of different directions you could go. But the purpose of the NICE Institute was to take science and commercialize it, put it into the hands of the public and something they could understand. Um, and by doing that, we had kind of a dragon's den style of a situation where we came up with a at the end of it we came with up with a product and we had to do our market research uh talk to different people see if it was a the correct market fit it was through something called the starting lean canvas we worked very closely with ed leach and mary kilofoil for doing that and then at the end when we kind of had developed this product we pitched it to a panel of dragons, which were usually some of the different panelists that came throughout the weeks as well and talked about their companies. And then there was a winner at the end of it. Unfortunately, I didn't win, but a friend of mine in the university, Graham, his team won, and it was very well-deserved. It sounds really similar to uh, the science innovation class that, that Aaron offers. Were you, I don't know, I don't think, I guess that was when you were you're in school that that was a thing yet. Right. I I don't think it was. It might have been, but I wasn't a part of it. Um, I primarily and then after I did that first uh, session of it, I actually helped him run the summer course for subsequent years. So I, I don't think I, I I feel like I would have known that there was also the science innovation course, but I, it was also six years ago. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it's it's fairly new. So for anyone listening, ah, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so Aaron offers this certificate called I think it's the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Certificate, and you have to take a certain number of courses to kind of fulfill the requirements. And one of the requirements is taking this uh, year-long capstone course where you basically, the first semester, I just finished this course. Um, I did it in my third year, so just this past uh, this past COVID year, uh, which is a little bit different in the online environment, but uh, basically, the first semester we were given a problem, and we had to come up with a solution, and we had to go through, you know, creating what a lean. I didn't even know what a business model canvas was. Oh, I, I didn't either. I did not either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's a really helpful and useful tool. Um, and then the second semester, we were able to choose our own project that we were going to work on, and me and my group, we chose to kind of tackle. Um, kind of addressing the lack of mentorship for upper year students and kind of getting them connected with um, people working um, kind of after they've graduated, whether that's, you know, people who've kind of gone beyond grad school or people who've kind of gone more the industry route so we could introduce students that it's not just uh, med and academia, but it's also these other, there's these other career options available that just students don't seem to know about or it's not really, um, not really given to them they don't really know much about the options so anyway so that's what that class is about which sounds kind of similar to the NICE program in a way and um, yeah so for any students who are kind of interested in what other opportunities are beyond um, or I guess kind of more the industry route you can definitely check out Surge um, and then this this class which is being offered again in person this coming year so yeah yeah um, I would highly recommend that yeah because I even if you aren't really sure what you want to do, like you you aren't necessarily looking for options outside, but you kind of want to know what's out there just to give it a shot, I would highly recommend looking into those. 
Yeah, and we actually had speakers um, who are from startup companies in Volta. They actually came to talk to us during some classes. So we got to learn a little bit about what they did. And I think in previous years, um, you would actually go to Volta, which is kind of Halifax's That's startup. so cool. <laughs> um, and they would pitch these ideas to these people. And David, who we're going to have on, um, I think next on the podcast series here, he, um, he, that's how he got a job is um, he connected with someone who was at this Volta kind of when they were giving their, their class pitches. So yeah, it's, it's definitely really a really cool opportunity for exploring kind of what else is out there. Um, going back a little bit to when you were saying that you were working in Aaron's lab as a lab manager, and then you were also completing your master's. Um, how did you, how did you balance that? I'm always interested to kind of hear different ways people have to kind of manage the work-life balance. And especially when you're kind of doing two big things at the same time, how do you, how do you split your time? Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, I'm not necessarily sure I would recommend doing it. It was a lot of, lot of long days. Um, so with the online program through the University of Edinburgh, essentially the first two years were your courses, kind of similar to a normal master's, and then my last year was my thesis year. And for the majority of my coursework, it was, um, I'd say, if I remember correctly, six week long courses, and you would have weekly assignments and then a final assignment you would have to do. So pretty much during my master's, I was working full-time during the day in the lab, getting everything done there, making sure things were running smoothly, and then at the end of the day, setting aside some time to do my coursework. <laughs> so it it was a lot of long days, but I, I'm, I'm happy I did it because I was able to have a job, make money while I was doing my master's, but at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it if it's not the right path for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess um, you've been working from home as well. So that was um, that was obviously kind of through online. So how did you find your transition to kind of doing the online school to now working online um, because of the pandemic? Yeah. So when I, I've actually been working from home or remotely since I want to say of March last year because I was in Montreal. So we were in lockdown a, a bit longer than everyone here in Nova Scotia. Uh, it is kind of similar in a way where you just you I think it's really important that you set up a routine. Um, and that you set up a place for that routine. So for work for school it's important to kind of set up your work area where you're going where when you move to that spot that is where you're doing your work so you can try to differentiate between what is work and what is personal life uh, because I think that's so important to have that balance uh, it's also important to take breaks <laughs> um, if you're staring at a paper for too long uh, in your own house and then you kind of need to just go for a walk around your apartment or go for a walk outside quickly kind of take a little break um, so you can refresh because I I find that working from home either for school or for my job I can get a bit in too into it and too focused and then I realize oh gosh I've been here for like five hours and I haven't moved <laughs> uh, I need to take a little break and a little refresher that's really important um, 
for working remotely for my job, one thing that I found really helpful, I actually started completely remote. So I started while I was in Montreal before I moved here to Halifax. And one of the things I really, really liked with my new job is that there was the option to remain social remotely. So we would have we use something called Slack, which I know a lot of companies use that. And there's a little built-in app called Donut, which randomly assigns different people from the company to you. And you have like a meeting once a week, just 25 minutes to get to know each other, just to stay social while being remote. Because I think that is also so important just to kind of develop that relationship with your coworkers. Um, and I would say the similar would be saying that something similar would be said about um your school, your co-students, like just trying to get to know them a little bit. It can be a little isolating if you're doing everything remotely. You need to have a little bit of balance there. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and just to kind of end off, I guess one of the last questions I had is, so you got your job originally through kind of networking, through being able to meet um uh, your boss, who hadn't yet set up an office in Canada, but was kind of thinking about it, maybe. Um, and you met him through the NICE program. So I was just wondering if you had any suggestions for students about how they could kind of network, because there's so much, um, I don't know, at least with some of most of my jobs, it's been like you kind of you have the credentials, but then what sets you apart from everyone from everyone else is kind of being able to have those connections with people. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gives you like an extra kind of foot in the door. That's how you get your foot in the door, I guess. Um, so I was wondering if you had any tips for students who are kind of trying to put themselves out there and that kind of, I guess, maybe some helpful tips for networking. Yeah. So honestly, most of my job right now is also networking. So networking is something that doesn't kind of stop after you get a job, especially in sales or also in research. Um, it you're constantly meeting people and developing connections. So I'd say that my number one thing that I would recommend is exactly what you said. Put yourself out there. Start meeting people. Start talking. Um, start just, yeah, just start talking to people. Um, the other thing I'd say is just be yourself. <laughs> um, these connections, this networking that you are doing, um, you're essentially selling yourself. and you shouldn't try to put on something else because that's just obvious. That's just kind of false advertising. Just be yourself and people will kind of uh, like the you that they're getting to know. That's a lot of what I do is I talk to people. I'm genuine. I hear them out. I, I kind of figure out what their problem is and see how I can address it. It's just putting yourself out there and being genuine. I guess would be the, the two things I would say. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Morgan. Um, and I guess um, maybe advice you'd give your, your younger self just to end off here um, for maybe the younger students listening who are kind of still in their, their bachelor degrees of whatever their major is. Um, is there anything that you wish you would have known kind of looking back now that you would kind of give yourself as advice? Yeah, that's tricky because uh, I I mean, I'm very thankful for the exact path that I took because I think everything I did kind of it it worked and it made sense and it's made me who I am. So I wouldn't really take anything back if if 
if I were to give myself advice, I would just say, you know, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to join different uh, societies, uh, find a lab. I wish I'd found my lab sooner. I'd waited a bit long to go and find a lab because I was so nervous about seeing the PhD students and the PI that they were so intimidating. I just, I just wish I'd started putting myself out there a little earlier. And also in the context of putting yourself out there, not being afraid to fail was the thing that really kind of held me back is I, I wouldn't do certain things. I was like, ah, it's, it's probably not going to work out for me, so I might as well not try it. Just try it. <laughs> you never know. Um, it's just similar to networking. It, if you're afraid to go and talk to somebody and get to know them, remember they're normal people. They're just It's just another person. Go give it a shot. Talk to them. So I'm wondering, would you ever go back to academia? Are you kind of happy with kind of the industry side um, that you've chosen? And um, is there anything that you're maybe missing that academia had that industry doesn't? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So um, I'd say when I worked at Brain Vision Solutions, I definitely could have seen myself going back into research just because I wasn't far enough removed from it at that point um, that I could have seen myself easily transitioning back into it eventually if I felt like I wanted to go and do that. Um, so I never really saw it not as an option until my more recent job, which like literally has nothing to do with neuroscience or research. Um, it's a SaaS, so software as a service security platform um, where we help teams, uh, physical and intelligence security teams leverage the wealth of information that's actually available online through like social media channels to conduct investigations, validate threats and collect insights to support kind of what they're trying to do at their company. Um, and as you can tell from that, it has nothing to do with, from, with science, but I love it. And I am so happy to be able to help these companies kind of help their security teams validate threats and help their employees. So before this job, 100%, I could have seen myself going back to research. But right now, I'm so happy I couldn't. In terms of what I miss, um, as weird as it might sound, uh, running stats, <laughs> um, I really miss uh, that because one of our postdocs in the lab, uh, his name is Antoine Tremblay, he had such a love and a passion for stats that kind of instilled it on me. And it was my favorite part of research, just going in and, you know, writing code to run stats and it was just so much fun. Um, besides that, working with uh, the post-stroke aphasics, I really, I really missed or miss working with them. We would, we at that time when I was in the lab, we were partnered with a program called Interact, which was an intensive language therapy program to try to help people recover their language after stroke. And I found that really rewarding, working with them, trying to see if there were any changes in their brain before and after their therapy um, and seeing those changes because we did see some amazing changes as they went through this program. So I think particularly for me with working with the post-stroke aphasics, I, I really miss working with them. When you say you're looking at their brain, was this through EEG or kind of fMRI? 
Yeah, so the specific study that I was working on, it was actually through MEG, so magnetoencephalography, but I did a lot of work with EEG as well and fMRI. Yeah, I don't unfortunately share that same love of stats that, that you have developed. <laughs> um, Many people don't. <laughs> that's one thing about research is uh, that I could do without. So, um, yeah. So another question is kind of what have been the most unique positions that you've seen other students or kind of your colleagues come out of? Um, so, for example, if they were in a science degree, did they completely deviate to something else? We're just trying to maybe get some different career options out there for students who might be wondering. Yeah, um, well, I mean, through the lab and through kind of the Radiant programs, the various iterations of the programs that Aaron has done throughout the years, you do see a lot of that. We, I'm fortunate to be connected with the, quite a few people on LinkedIn and get to see kind of what they're doing, and that's very exciting. Um, some of the different things I've seen people do would be, um, working for a language app, so with the background and understanding how people learn and understand second languages, um, translating that to working on an app that helps you do that. So that's really cool. I've also seen people work for statistics companies, so coming from that love of statistics, kind of transferring that skill over as well. Um, a lot of startups as well from the different entrepreneurship programs that Aaron has offered. Um, those kind of range all over the place. It's really based on your interests. I'd say the biggest piece of advice or thing I could note about that is kind of the world is your oyster. So many different skills from a neuroscience degree or even just a bachelor's of science can be translated into other jobs. You you don't really have to get pigeonholed into academia. Yeah, so you talked a lot about kind of LinkedIn and making connections and this kind of thing. So um, do you have to add people uh, or can you add people that you don't know? Just like someone who seems like, could you just kind of shop around and just cold call people? and just say like, hey, I'm looking for an opportunity, like wondering if you guys have any openings or things like that, or what do, what do you think about that? And have you already ever had success in doing something similar to that? So I've never personally had success in doing that, but I've never really tried. Um, the way that I'd done that before was through conferences. It's very similar, you know, you go over and you meet somebody, you talk to them, find out what they do, how they got there, and, um, see if that kind of sounds like something that would interest you. I would highly recommend just throwing out some LinkedIn connection, connections. The worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to ignore it. <laughs> uh, best case scenario, they accept it and they start a conversation with you and you can ask them more about what they do and kind of figure out if that's something that would sound interesting to you. It doesn't necessarily need to be ex like linked to a job offer. I think that building your network on LinkedIn is just important to kind of start those relationships, figure out what industry is the best fit for you, and also what you need to do to maybe get to your dream career path. Um, I think one of the people that was at the Summer Institute when I attended was a woman called Marim Bitla, I can't pronounce, I don't know how to pronounce her name, and I'm very sorry about that, but that was one of the things that she really recommended was going out and asking people how they 
what they do and how they got there and try to figure out if that's something you want to go and try to do as well. Um, and what kind of conferences have you been to? Have they been more kind of the ones that you went to that were kind of more academic when you were still working in academia or have you since been to other ones? I just, I've only heard the term conferences mostly in terms of academia. So I'm wondering how, um, how common they are in like another workplace or another, um, another setting. Yeah, so conferences exist in every industry. It's kind of a universal thing I've found. Um, when I was working for Brain Vision Solutions, it was research-based conferences because we sold research technology. Uh, so that's a lot of what I attended. They were all over the world. There's a lot of ones online that you can attend right now. They're great. And now that I'm in kind of more of a security setting, there are specific ones towards security um, and security practices in different countries. But then there's also different ones towards different uh, markets or communities that I engage with. So, for example, uh, in my company, we have different research or sorry, different sales verticals that we work with. So it's it's uh, broad categories of different markets that we specifically develop relationships with and network with. And mine are actually cannabis and nonprofits. So I go to different cannabis conferences or different nonprofit uh, church conferences, kind of get an idea of what they're doing so I can make sure that I am offering the best solution for them. So to answer more shortly, there are conferences for everything <laughs> um, and they're really fun to attend. So if they're free, go ahead and see if you can get an invite and check them out. Thank you. And just one last thing, who do you think has been the coolest person you've connected with? Um, just in general at a conference, maybe. Oh, God. <laughs> I would love to say what of the researchers I used to work with. They're all cool. I, I love, I, I, that's one thing I do miss with my last job was all of the amazing researchers that I had met with and connected with over the three and a half years doing really cool things in neuroscience. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, in the next few years, I'll be able to do the same in the security space. But in in terms of researchers, conference wise, I, I had met more people from Brain Vision at different conferences. They also have a the mother company, the company that kind of broadly founded Brain Vision. Um, is called Brain Products and they're in Germany. So I was able to meet a lot of my German colleagues there and make those connections. I'd say one of the coolest researchers I've met, I mean, I, Aaron, I'm kind of partial to him, but also Olav Krigolson over at UVic is, will always have a very special spot in my heart. He's a great guy and does some really cool research where he climbs mountains with EEG. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, that kind of wraps and up, Morgan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And yeah, I hope that things um, get to, that your work goes back to in-person soon so you don't have to work from home anymore. Hey, I love it. It's the new normal. I'm very <laughs> productive and it's, I'd love the option to go into the office every now and then to be able to do in-person workshops. But I, once you get in a routine, I find that working from home can be very sustainable. So 
I, I hope more so that everything opens up so that I can see people and just generally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I miss hugs. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone does. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Thank you. And um, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Anna.